Hi, this is Dana Miller, senior reporter with Hotel News Now, joined with Kevin Davis, CEO of the Americas for JLL's Hotels and Hospitality Group. Thank you for joining me today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to dive into this conversation with you. We'll cover, you know, what recovery has been looking like in certain regions, what's going on with New York City and Airbnb, transactions environment and more. But kind of just to give us um, a little quick glimpse into you, of course, you know, you've got a significant job at a big company, but I'd love to kind of hear first what inspired you to enter the hospitality industry. Yeah, absolutely. I think two reasons. Uh, first, the people. Second, the properties. And starting with the people. So yeah. I didn't grow up in the hotel business. I didn't grow up around it. I didn't go to hotel school. And okay. In fact, I started my career. I was an econ major. I actually mm-hmm. uh, am a lawyer and worked in public policy on Capitol Hill. Oh, wow. Uh, and after that, went to business school and uh, worked in investment banking and uh, lending, uh, commercial real estate finance, including Mm -hmm. hospitality. And so I spent the early part of my career in a different space. But in so doing, I had an opportunity to spend a lot of time with people in the hospitality industry. And I really found myself attracted to those people. They were interesting, curious, creative, intelligent uh, so in many respects, uh, I felt like they were reflective mm-hmm. of who I am as a person, diverse interests, different backgrounds, super creative, just pretty cool and pretty fun, yeah. uh, which I'd like to think myself as, as being <laughs> both those things. So yeah. in any event, uh, when I had the opportunity to move into the hospitality business, um, it was it was a natural for me because, uh, again, I really uh, found the people to be attractive. You know, the second part of that is uh, the the places. Uh, hotels represent truly experiential real estate. And I, I think that there are also places where we attach incredibly positive memories. There are places where we take vacations with our friends and families, weddings, honeymoons, special events, um, et cetera. And so because of that, uh, there's a real connection uh, to the real estate itself. And there's a real intimacy uh, in the sense of you're, when you're at a hotel, I mean, it's where you sleep and it's your private space. It becomes your home for a day, a week, a month. And, um, and that's something that's really special. And so for me, there's just a, just a connectivity to the actual real estate. And I think that's one of the things that makes this asset class um, special and resonates with me. Good. I love hearing always people's stories and what really makes them tick within the industry and why they stay in it. Because, of course, you said you didn't start in it, but you're still here. Right. So that's good that we kept you in here. So, um, yeah. Uh, within your team specifically, there's, of course, been a little bit of movement within the division of hotels and hospitality at JLL um, as Hilda departs. So can you kind of share what your team has been up to? How's the team adjusting? Yeah, absolutely. Look, on one hand, it's certainly business as usual to in the sense that um, we're still executing deals, we're still pitching deals, we're winning business, we're closing deals, et cetera. And so I think the most important part has been keeping the team focused on business as usual. Obviously, Hilda is a great friend and great colleague, and she certainly is and will be missed. Uh, but it's been important for me to keep the team focused on executing our business. Um, with that being said, I think with with Hilda's departure, uh, it's given me an opportunity to rethink the business from top to bottom. Uh, and ultimately, uh, we're in the process of making some changes. 
uh, that we'll be looking forward to announcing in the near future. Look, okay. I've got a mandate to grow this business. Uh, we want to be more things to more people. We want boots on the ground in more markets. Uh, and we want to be closer to our clients. So a lot of what you'll see from us going forward will be growth. You will see JLL hotels in more places around the country. Um, and you will also see us working that much harder to be better connected to our top clients. Uh, so those are the things I'm particularly excited about. And the last part, I think this is highly relevant, is we are and will always be a global company. Mm -hmm. And global connectivity is of extreme importance. And so I am working very closely with my colleagues in EMEA yeah. and Asia Pacific uh, to maintain that global connectivity uh, yeah. so that we can deliver the best solutions to our clients. And so Hilda certainly represented um, that in that she was obviously our global CEO and ran our global hotels desk, but certainly the people that supported Hilda are still with us. We still have incredible relationships around the globe. Uh, and again, bringing that global connectivity to our clients will continue to be a core mandate of JLL Hotels. Good. So global growth and relationship building at the top. Yes. But as you mentioned, you kind of partner with those other CEOs in the other regions. Can you share maybe any insight about recovery in those that you've heard from your counterparts? Yeah, absolutely. It's been, um, look, we've had a strong recovery in, in both regions with uh, Europe outperforming 2019, particularly on the strength of luxury travel. Uh, okay. There's been a tremendous amount of inbound uh, traffic, uh, international travel into Europe, uh, which they've benefited from. Uh, we haven't seen it as much with transaction volume. Uh, okay. So the liquidity is not fully returned, uh, but we're certainly seeing strong fundamentals. Um, in addition, we are seeing uh, a near complete recovery uh, to 2019 in Asia, particularly oh, wow. driven by some of the uh, particularly driven by some of the uh, the urban markets. So okay. look, we're excited. Uh, we're excited as we're in the midst of a global recovery here. Um, transaction volume in the U.S. has been down about 50 percent. We expect that that'll change next year and we'll get into that. But um, but look, as we see U.S., the U.S., outperforming 2019, Europe outperforming 2019, and APAC on the verge of outperforming 2019. Uh, we feel good about uh, good about the future here. That's great to hear about APAC because that hasn't always been the story the past couple of years and, you know, still trying to regain the Chinese traveler in some regions with, you know, group tours and whatnot. I hope that really makes its way into the new year. But um you know, turning back to stateside with so much going on between Airbnb and New York City, can we kind of dive into what this could mean for the lodging industry in the city, as well as how this really specifically affects hotels? Absolutely. We think this creates a tremendous tailwind for hospitality in New York City. Uh, our projection is that uh, the supply of Airbnb units will likely decline by approximately 70%. Okay. What this means to hotels is we think there will be an incremental 2.2 million room nights uh, that are sold. Uh, we think it will generate uh, a little north of four points of incremental occupancy in New York City hotels and almost $400 million of incremental revenue that would have been spent in Airbnbs that will be spent in New York City hotels. Mm. So again, we think that this is one of the key tenants in the recovery of the New York City hotel market. 
So if we didn't have this going on, that might not be the story this year. No, no, I, I don't. I, this is this is okay. certainly um, this is the cherry on top. Okay. Uh, I think there are a couple other things going on. I mean, starting back to the special use permit requirement, which was passed several years ago, which requires that in order to build a new hotel in the city, you effectively have to get city council approval. Uh, mm. You can't do it as a right. Um, and what this effectively implies is that most of the new construction will likely be union, um, which means that the operating costs will be uh, will be higher. Okay. Um, so it will put a cap on supply. Mm -hmm. So if we look at if we look at um, uh, supply over the past 10 years relative to what it is now, mm -hmm. um, and I'll, I'll confirm the numbers, but I want to say we've had compound annual supply growth between 2012 and 22 of 3.8 percent. Okay. Um, and between now and 2025, it's like 1.7%. So you're already seeing it going down. Yeah. Um, and we think it will decline further in the out years. Um, so there's the special use permit. There's the incredible difficulty in uh, obtaining financing from mm -hmm. Roundup Construction, which is also limiting supply. And frankly, there's not a lot of equity yep. uh, for ground up hotel construction. So that's also going to constrain new supply. So we have we have a strong supply picture and then we've got a great demand picture. Mm -hmm. um, historically at peak uh, New York City visitation was a little north of 66 million visitors. Uh, this year we expect it'll be about 61, about 90 percent of the total. Uh, so getting close to full recovery. But the key is that the second largest group historically of visitors, international visitors, uh -huh. uh, are the Chinese. And okay. they're just starting to come back. Um, China yes. in August just relaxed their ban on group travel to the U.S., mm -hmm. um, which should which should cause an increase in in group travel from the Chinese. Now, the, people are still having issues getting visas to get over here. So I think sure. this is something that's going to happen over time, not immediately. Mm -hmm. But if you think about the return of the Chinese travel traveler, which again was the second um, highest group, the the first were the British. Um, but interestingly. Chinese travelers spent more than 2x um, as uh, relative to what the Brits spent. So there's a big spend associated with wow, that, which obviously yeah. would benefit hotels and restaurants, uh, retail, et cetera, in New York City. So we feel like the recovery of uh, foreign travel coupled with the recovery of the group market and mm -hmm. return of business transient are all uh, tailwinds that will drive the recovery of New York City. So it's not just the Airbnb. Again, I'd say that's really the icing on the cake. Okay. Um, there, there are other factors uh, ranging from the return of demand and the limited supply growth in the future that will propel the market forward. Okay. So mostly leisure has been what's driving that demand in New York City in the past. That, that's okay. Yeah, that's that's correct. But this year in 2023 specifically, we started. We've seen a return of group travel and a return of business transient. Awesome. So and yeah. Okay, so Kevin, in a prior interview, you had mentioned that it was basically the year of urban assets and the recovery of group and business transit-oriented hotels. So let's think a minute. Tell me what you think you would describe the tagline for 2024. All right, 2024, here's my prediction. I am calling it the year of the great reconciliation. And Ooh. it's a reconciliation between capital markets and asset prices. Okay. Um from a 
capital markets debt perspective, I think we are in a higher rate environment. Um, mm-hmm. Just fundamentally, I think this is a secular shift. And as a result, asset prices have to adjust to accommodate a higher cost of capital. And that adjustment will take time. It's not going to mm-hmm. happen overnight. And so I think you will start to see a reconciliation of uh, the challenges in the capital markets and higher cost of debt relative to asset prices. So in industry speak, what's that? what that means is that there will be a narrowing of the bid-ask spread between what sellers want to receive and what buyers want to pay. So mm-hmm. I think we're going to see that in 2024, which is going to propel strong transaction activity. Um, the other thing I think we will see, so I've given you my tagline, I think we will see a continued recovery of group and business transient mm-hmm. uh, with a sprinkling of distress around the country. Ooh, sprinkling. I like that. Okay. Sprinkling. sprinkling. Okay. So that wave still has not come. Yeah, I don't I don't know that there's going to be a wave. Look, there okay. will be distress and there mm-hmm. will be highly motivated sellers mm-hmm. who will be motivated by maturing debt yep. and inability to refinance their assets. Mm-hmm. Uh, in some cases, they may be underwater and maybe it's the lender's decision to sell, not the owner's decision to sell. So yep. you will absolutely see that. Um, but But I think, again, for a lot of that transaction activity, it's going to be masked as a regular sale because an owner may say, my lender's not willing to refinance um, and or I have to put cash in. I mm-hmm. do have equity value here. So rather than ride this out, I'm just going to sell the asset and just take chips off the table and move forward. And so yeah. I would call that a motivated seller, motivated by the debt and their their desire or inability to refinance it uh, and or the need to put in equity. And so they will take their assets to market, many of those people, and they will they will sell. And that will mm-hmm. be one of the triggers for transaction activity in 2024. Okay. This is a little bit off topic, but I've been hearing just within the insurance environment, the valuation of hotels now, um, that's kind of factoring into things. Could you maybe yeah. speak to that a little bit? Okay. Yeah. No, look, we've certainly seen the cost of insurance affecting valuations um, okay. across the country, but particularly in markets that are prone to natural disasters such as mm-hmm. hurricanes, flooding, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we've seen a pretty significant uptick in premiums. And that's that's affected one valuations and also in some cases just affected investors' willingness yeah. um, to invest in those markets. And also um uh if they have existing assets in those markets, in some cases, they may not want to buy more because they're concerned about concentration risk. Okay. Um, when you layer in insurance risk, flooding risk, uh, it, uh, I'm sorry, hurricane risk and flooding mm-hmm. risk, et cetera. Um, yep. So they may want to diversify out of uh, some of those markets that uh, that have a higher risk profile. Gotcha. Okay. So going back even a couple more years. So in 2019, JLL acquired real estate finance shop HFF. So since then, can you share how you've really seen the importance of JLL's capital markets business grow? Uh, Yeah, look, I can't overstate the importance of the merger uh, Mm -hmm. in growing JLL's capital markets business. Uh, We are a preeminent firm as it relates to capital markets uh, around the country and globally. Uh, we're number one in debt placement by a long ways uh, relative to our competition. 
And I think one of the unique things about uh, JLL is that we work as one team around the country. We are incredibly connected. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've got boots on the ground in over 30 markets around the country. And we pride ourselves on being well connected to one another, sharing information, uh, not just between uh, people in the same asset class, but across asset classes. So I understand the dynamics that are taking place in office and retail and multifamily, because sometimes they directly and certainly indirectly affect what's going on in hospitality. So I think for me in the hotels group, I have a much greater view on broader commercial real estate trends, which Mm -hmm. I think makes me a better advisor to my clients. So for example, what's going on in the office space and how that's likely to affect the hospitality space, mm-hmm. what's going on in retail, et cetera. Uh, Absolutely. And so it, 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 it gives us a broader view uh, mm-hmm. and we share that information uh, quite frequently such that we're all much better informed uh, and are ultimately better advisors. Good. It all goes back to just maintaining those relationships and building that. Um, so based on, you know, kind of things that you're hearing, could you summarize for us what you think our owners' biggest worries right now entering uh, 2024? Would you say it's keeping up with CapEx projects, labor, like we talked about, rising costs that's putting down under pressure on revenues? What What do you think it really is? Um, it's 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 all of the above. Mm-hmm. To be honest, I, I think there's pressure in the middle of the P&L on the expense side uh, while inflation is under control, uh, or I shouldn't say under control, while inflation is better than it was. Okay. Um, we still have a, a long way to go. And so mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of pressure in the middle of the P&L from an expense perspective. Uh, labor, again, certainly better than it was, but yeah. that continues to be an issue, finding enough qualified workers mm-hmm. uh, has, has been one of the things that we continue to grapple with. So I would say that those are really the two issues that I hear most from owners about uh, mm-hmm. as they think about 2024 and going forward. Okay. I mean, there are obviously questions about the top line in certain markets, particularly some of the resort markets and leisure markets, which have performed so well right. uh, in, in 2021 and 2022. But I think you also have to look at it through the lens of normalization um, okay. I mean, there was outsized performance in many of these markets in 2022, uh, yeah. and there was there was RevPAR growth, which frankly is not sustainable. And mm-hmm. so, what I think you're seeing is a normalization of trends in those markets. The other thing of note, and I think a, a lot of investors have, have been trying to figure out: you've had markets that have that have moved quite far, quite quickly. Take a Miami or a Tampa, for example. I think everybody will acknowledge that the Miami of 20, hotel market in 2024, or the Tampa hotel market in 2024 is not going to be the market of 2019. But mm-hmm. the question is, if it's not the market of 2022, what is it? Is it, is it some combination of the two? But it's yeah. certain, we're certainly not going far back. Um, but I think that's one of the things that investors are trying to figure out. And in some cases, look, maybe we continue to go forward. There's enough growth, population growth, job growth, demographic growth that will propel these markets forward. Uh, And I think those are some of the questions that investors are really grappling with as they think about uh, some of these high growth markets and what -hmm. what they will become over the next five to seven years. That will be interesting because I'm sure owners kind of got used to all this inflated ADR, you know, and all that. And I hope it's not a shock to the system if it, you know, as it normalizes a bit, but that's just all part of the business, I'm sure. But (laughs) Absolutely. 
Lastly, um, we're at the end of our time, but which trend in the industry do you think owners should really pay attention to most as we head into the new year? Yeah, I thought a lot about this one. Um, and I think the winner is, uh, is AI. It's artificial intelligence, mm. how it will impact the guest experience, how we can incorporate it uh, to enhance the guest experience. Um, but then also how it impacts the transactions market. And okay. from a JLL perspective, we've developed proprietary predictive technology, which helps us target assets and owners um, that may want to sell, may need to refinance, may need to recapitalize their assets. And it's not just as simple as saying, oh, I see that this owner has debt coming due in a year. I should probably call them and see if they want to refi. We take a lot more inputs. We look at investors' behaviors over time. Um, we look at where they are in the life cycle of their funds. We look at concentration in certain markets um, to help us predict um, investor behavior and trends that will happen in the markets. And so it's a, it's a really cool tool that we have that, that we are in the process of rolling out. And I think it will ultimately transform the transactions market. And so I'm really excited about uh, the positive uses of, of AI in our business and again, in, in the consumer experience at, uh, at our hotels. Oh, good. I'm glad you brought that up because I honestly hadn't thought about how it could really enhance the transaction side of things. So that will be really mm -hmm. cool to look forward to. But yep. Kevin, thank you so much for your insight today. I'm excited for our listeners to hear and take away some good takeaways with this. But um, thank you so much. My pleasure. Enjoyed it. Thank you. Hi, I'm Isaac Colazzo, Vice President of Analytics at STR. Hi, and I'm Jan Feitak, National Director for Hospitality Analytics for the CoStar Group. Tune in to our new show, Tell Me More, a hospitality data podcast. It's a podcast on the global hotel industry, its current trends, what we're thinking about, and where the industry's going. And we like to have fun with the data, too. Find us on hotelnewsnow.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe today.